Well, okay, turn in your Bibles. Do you have Bibles? You totally should. If you don't, we'd love to give you one. Um, but if you don't, you can also use the Uversion Bible app. We're going to be in Galatians 4, looking at verses 8 through 11. I know we're taking some small bits as we go through this with good reminder, and we'll get back to our normal bigger chunks here eventually. Um, but as we continue in this study, it is, uh, I think Galatians is, can you have a most important book of the New Testament? Probably not, but uh, this one would be in, in the running. Um, it's so important for us, even in our day, and even for those of us who like to imagine being mature in our faith, it's all the more important for us. So the big idea for today uh, is that grace takes you all the way. Like, I don't know any other way to say, all you need is grace. Grace, grace, grace. That's it. That's, that's what we get. That's what we need. That's what we, um, that's how we keep moving forward is grace. And so that's what we want to see from this text today. I'm going to read Galatians 4, 8 through 11, and then we'll pray and we'll get into it. So hear the word of the Lord this morning. But in the past, this is Paul, remember, writing to the churches of Galatia. Since you didn't know God, you were enslaved to things that by nature are not God's. But now, since you know God, or rather have been known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elements? Do you want to be enslaved to them all over again? You are observing special days, months, seasons, and years. And I am fearful for you that perhaps my labor for you has been wasted. Well, Lord, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the context in which these few verses land. Just the invitation and reminder of the goodness of your grace and your redeeming work for us that you invite us back to over and over again. Lord, as we open this word today, help us, help me, that we would experience your forgiveness in real time, that we'd experience your grace in our day today and every day forward, that you would be glorified and we'd be forever changed. In Jesus' name, amen. So grace takes you all the way. Now, maybe I've talked about it before, and I'm not even sure if I've used this example before, but I, I, ultra marathoners are like heroes of mine. Like I'll occasionally watch some clips of videos of people that we're sure are crazy but do uh, amazing physical feats that are just so phenomenal to watch. And their ability to run for like 100 miles and keep a pace that I can't keep running two miles, it just blows me away. It's just amazing. It, the story of one runner, however, I think matches the problem that is unfolding in the Galatian churches that Paul is Writing to, and so this is just a snippet from Runner's World magazine back in 2017. And it says Jim Walmsley has a thorn in his side in the form of Western States endurance run. Two years in a row, he entered the prestigious 100 miler as the much hyped favorite, and two years in a row, he is left disappointed. And the first disappointment, which is vital for us, and he says, in 2016, he attacked his debut at the distance aggressively, going out at a pace 40 minutes ahead of the course record. And he made a wrong turn at mile 93, got lost, and he shuffled into a 20th place finish. And so this guy, well-known, popular, phenomenal 
runner and that wrong turn cost him a record that he was about to smash and it created a legend like known for this mistake this will carry him in like this is who he is now known for this wrong turn and the wrong turn was actually fascinatingly enough a shortcut but in order to avoid disqualification he had to run back two miles to get back on the course and that mistake ruined his race it got in his head, it changed his pace, and he never could get back. And he was beaten by essentially having to run in reverse. And some in the Galatian churches were essentially doing the same thing. They're on this marathon of life, and then they're in, instructed or influenced to take a wrong turn, and they end up running the wrong way, ending up in Reverse instead of moving forward in their faith. We know the Christian life is a race. If you've been around churches long enough, you've heard Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, let us run the endurance with endurance, the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, right? So there is movement involved in the Christian life. There are hills and there are at moments heat, but looking to Jesus is recognition that the race is already won for us. And that's where our endurance actually comes from. That's how we finish, knowing that it, is ha it has been accomplished, and we just now live in light of that. But Galatian Christians were succumbing to this lure of false teaching and the inclinations of their flesh, and they were essentially running in reverse. This is what has Paul concerned. This is what needs to be corrected, as we've already talked about in our study. This is the taint that has to be removed from the churches for them to live what they are destined to live in light of who Christ is. So we begin first thinking through the folly of reverse. Like why would it be bad to live in this way, to go in reverse as they are? Now, it has... How many of you have ever driven a manual transmission in a car? Like, you're awesome. Anybody still? You should. No one ever steals a manual transmission car. So if you live in a high theft area, get a manual transmission car. But it's a great experience to drive one, right? You have such control over the engine. And it, yeah, it's, it's really great. But if the gearbox or the clutch are wonky in some ways or after uh, lots of use and little care, you can end up slipping gears, right? When, when you don't want to, shifting into a gear that not, is not necessarily what you desire. But if you slip into reverse, it could actually be catastrophic for the transmission, for your car, for your driving experience. And that's what's happening for too many in the Galatian churches. Paul reminds them at the start of our text with what they used to be. He says, if we look in the rearview mirror of this car called life, in the past, since you didn't know God, you were enslaved to the things that by nature are not God. So here's the reminder for them in the church of what life used to be like For most of them, they're Gentile believers. That's the key audience here in this letter. And their past was actually marked by a, a paganism of the culture that they lived in. Like that was almost to a person that was going to have been their experience, this idolatry in 
the raw. And we don't quite have the same experience today. We definitely have idols in our culture that we worship in much the same way, but we don't necessarily call them gods, even though they attempt to be. But they were living this life that was worshiping these made-up deities of stone and wood. And so for them, it was a performative experience, essentially trying to bring pleasure to this rock so that it might make it rain for you. It sounds silly, but that is their life. And Paul says that it's a life enslaved, trapped in this never grasping of what they're reaching for. It's always remaining lost, running after something and hoping for something that these things cannot deliver. But they had heard the gospel, the good news of Jesus's life, death and resurrection for them that was preached by Paul. And they came to believe in this glorious turn of life. They rejoice at the grace of God for them. They recognize that they were sinners in need of rescue and that Jesus came to be their rescue. It's glorious. But sadly, what is happening, the what was, was starting to match what used, what used to be. Starting to look a lot like their past. In verse 9, he says, But now, since you know God, or rather have been known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elements? Do you want to be enslaved to them all over again? And things change. They know God where before they had no understanding of who God was. They've actually been awakened to that reality. They've been saved by the work of Christ. They have been redeemed. They've experienced the spirit, the application of their sonship in Christ. But the problem is that they are turning back to weak and worthless elements. Now, it's important for us to recognize that Paul is here not talking about gross sin in the life of the people. And this, that's coming. He's going to talk about sin and going back to things of the flesh as well. But this is a justification problem for them. This is about what they think is needed for redemption, for salvation, to stand blameless before God and how life is supposed to look after you've received that or achieved that. And they were ended up just like before, treating God like that rock that they had to please to get rain. Paul says that's not how it works. And he fears that they're in danger of walking away from the freedom that they received by faith in Christ and by his liberating work in order instead to embrace special days and months and seasons that were related to the law. It's like taking up what they'd never known before, following the law, finding themselves enslaved to that. So Paul associates the Galatian turn to the Torah essentially is a return to Gentile idolatry. This has long been a human problem, and it's even for those that have experienced redemption, right? We go back to Israel having been freed from slavery. This is the great exodus. It's their foundational reality of being God's people. Yet in the wilderness, they hunger for food of oppression, and they long to go back, right? We know that story well. It seems absurd, but we live it just like they do all the time. And this is why it's happening in the Galatian churches, because they are made of the same stuff. Without a doubt, there was the influence of false teachers, of these Judaizers that came and preached and said, if you want to actually be 
uh, a strong Christian or uh, an actual Christian, a follower of Christ, you have to take on the uh, Mosaic law in the same way that we have as Jewish believers. And so that is going to become a a huge hurdle for Gentile believers. But for many of them, they're like, okay, well, I just want to follow Jesus. And so I'm going to do what these people that seem to be experts say that I need to do. And so the Judaizers are certainly to blame. And Paul's going to have increasingly strong language for these false teachers. But that reality of influence paired with the fact that they are human and just naturally inclined toward these things, it ends up becoming a disaster. And I think that's, that's why it still happens today, right? Because we are made in such a way or um, uh, essentially trained in such a way to love law. The to-dos of life, something to accomplish. And sometimes grace can just sound too good to be true. That I can actually be saved without regard to how bad I am. That I don't have to prove myself first. I don't have to spruce up my resume or hang out with the right people. Like, are, are you sure? Did God really say? And salvation on the basis of faith? Surely there must be something about me that is worth it for him to come and save. There must be something I have to do to either uh, be saved or maintain that salvation. And then it's the reality that we're surrounded by merit. We're surrounded by earning in our world and things that are actually good and worthwhile to a, a great extent, right? Because, friends, don't hear me wrong. You should, in fact, do a good job with hopes of uh, promotion eventually for doing a good job where you work. You should study before the test so you can actually pass it, whatever that test is in life. And if, you, if, if I want to lose weight, then I need to stop eating donuts, right? Weight loss is not a grace-driven effort, but that's a whole nother Sunday. It it is right and good to earn my weight loss, right? So earning something is right and good when it comes to a promotion, when it comes to schoolwork, when it comes to my waistline, but not when it comes to salvation. So we love the law, but we're also people that love control. We love to put ourselves in charge of a situation, and we don't need to get into the ways that we do this these days because some of you would email me mad that I brought it up. But we essentially live in such a way that we want to be in the driver's seat, and we forget that the first lie in the garden was that we could be God, and we just go on trying to live that anyway. And all these things together, our love for the law, our uh, desire to be in control, they just set us up for the risk of jumping back into slavery, jumping back into missing the goodness of the gospel. And then along comes something novel, something new to us, some new way of thinking, or somebody promotes some undiscovered necessity in serving Jesus that they got by taking certain verse numbers and multiplying them by certain chapter numbers, and then poof, look at this great knowledge I have. Now you must follow it. Right? I mean, you've seen some of these books. You've heard some of these people. 
And, and all the more, we have friends that have decided that the better way was actually to go back to living under the Mosaic law. Like, that's a thing. Like, oh, you need to all understand Hebrew better. You need to understand what it was like to be Israel and cling on to that. It's a very real thing. And then some friend of mine just shares a meme that fires all of my triggers, and I just shift into reverse. And we become convinced that grace can't get us to where we need to go, so we take a wrong turn and we ruin the race. I think I have to live proving myself by being better at keeping the old calendar than everybody else, or whatever we tend to place in that Jesus plus this category. Yeah, Jesus is great, but I need to also do this. Or I'm going to try my hardest, and then Jesus is going to get me over that final hump. That's not how it works. That just is leading us back into slavery. Martin Luther, he gets a, a couple good quotes here today. He says, as many as trust to their own strength and righteousness do serve a God, but such a God as they themselves have devised and not the true God indeed. So the temptation to turn back is never far from any Christian, especially when he or she finds themselves in the midst of a wilderness of difficulties. Because life is hard. The race is arduous. Like there are going to be moments that we're going to find ourselves dizzy and confused and think we need to go another way. So there is a temptation for it. Here, Paul is contending that the Galatians' turn from Christ toward the works of the law is equivalent to the return to idolatry. He's going to ask this question a couple more times in the rest of the letter. Like, do you really want to go back into slavery? One scholar, Jarvis Williams, says he feared maybe the Galatians did not really believe the gospel when he preached the crucified and resurrected Christ to them the first time. The thing that had changed their lives, that had changed their whole category of existence, their identity, and now he fears that they've shed that, that they've given that up for something of slavery again. And tomorrow's Labor Day, right? So Paul, in this text, this is why we preach this text this week, right? Not at all, but he, he's worried that his labor is wasted, like, I feel Paul in this moment because he's living the pastor life, feeling that all his work is just in vain because the folks reject it and live under the law. But it's, it's not just a waste for those in ministry. This is also a waste for the believer. Decades spent missing out on grace, missing redemption, adoption, and the kingdom, the way you're called to live in light of Christ. It's hard to see why the Galatians would be attracted by slavery, except that the perversity of the fallen human heart wants to do something itself to contribute to being justified before God. And we have here in these verses not only a window into the Galatians' thinking, but I think it's also a mirror into our own hearts so often. For we too are strongly inclined to contribute something toward our justification. And Paul's essentially saying, run away from that. Because there is another way. There is a solution to the folly of reverse. And that is the joy of grace. This scandalous freedom that he keeps going on uh, of the gospel. And it rejects all earning or self-generated contribution to salvation. So Christ has accomplished everything. And that's what Paul is reminding these believers back into. 
He says, but now, since you know God, or rather have been known by God. And Paul places here in the midst of this text a vital correction by saying, or rather, because they know God, but only because he knows them. They have become known by God. J.I. Packer in, in Knowing God, he says, What matters supremely, therefore, is not in the last analysis the fact that I know God, but the larger fact which underlies it, the fact that he knows me. I am graven on the palm of his hand. I am never out of his mind. He knows me as a friend, one who loves me. And there is no moment when his eye is off me or his attention distracted from me. And no moment, therefore, where his care falters. That's what it means to be known by God. That God is the initiator. Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith. He does the earning. He does the redeeming, the adopting. You just live in freedom in him. And what joy that is for us. We hear it when Paul writes to the Ephesian church. Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. Notice he doesn't say he predestined for you to try to be holy and blameless. No, to be holy and blameless in him. He predestined us to be adopted as sons to Jesus Christ for himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he lavished on us in the beloved one. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace that he richly poured out on us with all wisdom and understanding. Yes, amen. The Bible preaches better than any preacher I have ever heard. And there it is for us that he knew us. He determined to know us out of love. And it's in that love, that knowledge, that we now have salvation, redemption, adoption. And Christians are, in fact, no longer under the Mosaic covenant. We are under a covenant by the blood of Christ, the covenant of grace. And so this is the remedy. This is why Paul's not like, he's not trying to one-up the Judaizers saying, oh, actually, you have to do life this way in particular. He's taking them back to this covenant that Jesus formed with them by his work on the cross for them. This is the remedy. This is his grace toward us that it's what we see when we run with our eyes on Jesus. Because... We don't, we don't see something to earn when we look at Jesus and run that race. We see what has already been accomplished. We hear the words of the Lord over and over again, right? Matthew 11, we love this section of scripture. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take up my yoke and learn from me, because I am lowly and humble in heart. I am gentle and lowly in heart. That's where it comes from, that book. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Here's a reality of that invitation. We have to come to the realization that this invitation from Jesus is not, in fact, exclusively for those that are beat down. It's certainly for those that feel that exhaustion, that feel that weight of life. But this is for the achiever all the same. In salvation, Jesus carries the burden. He carries all of the weight. In our living, his yoke is easy and burden is light. The only weights that slow us down are those that we cling to. 
That we're invited to let go as we run this race following after Jesus. And to release the weight, we need the good news of this grace over and over again. And then some more. Again from Martin Luther. He says, the law is divine and holy. Let the law have his glory. But yet no law, be it never so divine and holy, ought to teach me that I am justified and shall live through it. I grant it may teach me that I ought to love God and my neighbor, also to live in chastity, soberness, patience, etc. But it ought not to show me how I should be delivered from sin, the devil, death, and hell. Here, I must take counsel of the gospel. I must listen to the gospel, which teaches me not what I ought to do, for that is the proper office of the law, but that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, what he has done for me. That he suffered and died to deliver me from sin and death. The gospel wills me to receive this and to believe it. And this is the truth of the gospel. It's also the principal article of all Christian doctrine, wherein the knowledge of all godliness consists. And he says, most necessary it is, therefore, that we should know this article well, the truth of the grace that is given in the truth of the gospel, teach it unto others, and beat it into our heads continually. Martin Luther's my kind of pastor. It is still, friends, right and good to think about how we live in light of Christ, how we approach marriage, how we approach parenting, our work, seeking justice, bringing peace to our neighborhoods, loving God with all of our heart and loving our neighbor as self is still true, but it is not the way to salvation. It is living forward from salvation. So as for the Galatians, the remedy to sliding back into slavery is just more of the gospel, more of the preaching of grace, more of what they heard at first. This is this letter, this whole thing of Galatians essentially to the churches is the more cowbell moment of Christianity. Right? You, maybe you know that classic Saturday Night Live skit portraying the recording of the Blue Oyster Cult song, The Reaper. Right When Christopher Walken is playing the producer and he just keeps coming out and says, I need more cowbell. Well, the spirit, friends, plays the role of the producer in our lives and he just wants more gospel. More good news of this grace toward us. And some say there has to be something more shiny than that. They'll say to you, you can't just go on preaching the gospel. Won't people sin more? Oh, if I had a dollar every time. I would still live in a little 800-square-foot house with a lot more money, though. But Paul has a completely different opinion, right? Like he said, go on, say, that's absurd. But what you need to fix that absurd idea is more gospel. And we live in a day that it's like, okay, I don't know how many pastors I've talked to in the last two weeks that, hey, what are your big plans for the fall? Because, you know, the falls when churches reboot and they launch a new campaign, get everybody excited. And I'm like, I'm just trying to live with folks and preach the gospel. That's our big idea for the fall, friends. Come on. That's our big idea for growth of the church. And listen, if that ship goes down, I am going down with the gospel ship because it is the only life preserver that can bear my weight. Because right. I'm a big dude. And I'm a huge sinner. And I need something that can carry me. You need something that can carry you. And you only find that in the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
his finished work for you. Running back to the old ways is going in reverse. And freedom looks different. Grace actually takes you all the way. You need to hear this. Jesus has earned for you the well done that you are going to hear from the Father. It's, it's finished. You can expect that. It's a promise for you. Now you can live from that. How, how great is that? You just get to go on live. Try this thing out. Try out the, the excitement of the grace that you receive. Grace takes you all the way, friends, because it is the only way. So be suspicious of reverse. I miss living in D.C. And maybe the two of you that lived in D.C. at the same time as me will remember in the metro, this in the subway, there used to be a sign. This is big anti-terrorism moment. So it said if you saw something suspicious, you were to tell somebody, right? But they had this really funny ad that paired the idea of suspicious behavior as being something out of the ordinary and dangerous. And they paired that with suspicion. And so they said the word you were to use is that there's something suspicious. Because that's, I know that's right. That's something else I, I miss about DC, that phrase. So there's something suspicious when you're invited. That made no sense to, to anybody but me. And that's cool. But be suspicious of reverse. The devil doesn't have any new tricks, you guys. But he is super consistent in trying to move us away from grace. There are an, an, an unending amount of things that are going to come out that say new. There are new ways to unlocking the mysteries of all time, you know. Oh, I've deconstructed and I finally have arrived at the reality. And there are some things the church needs to deconstruct out of because it's not the grace of Christ. But when you hear of these unlocked mysteries, don't be enslaved by them. Instead, ask the Spirit to keep you watchful for ways that you disregard grace and where your transmission slips. That you wouldn't fall into reverse. So be suspicious and then beat the gospel of grace into your head and heart. When we think we know and want to move on to other things, we prove that we don't know at all. The gospel of the finished work of Christ is the meat that we were meant for. The grace of Christ. Run with it. It is the pure power of God for salvation. See it in scripture. Hunt for it. Savor it. Share it. Preach it to yourself every day. And if you have a hard time in scripture saying, well, where's grace in this? Ask one of our beloved brothers and sisters to help me see the grace of Christ in this story of scripture. Help me see how this ties into my salvation and how I now get to live free in Christ. That's what we are here for. We would run together looking to Christ. So be suspicious and beat the gospel into your head and hearts that it would find purchase and remain forever. Because grace takes us all the way. Jim Walmsley took a wrong turn and had to reverse course and it was a mistake that made him lose. But Walmsley would come back, and eventually he'd win by running the right course. And he'd win in 2018, 2019, and 2021. And oh, that he would be known by God. What a, a vessel he would be to proclaim the goodness of Christ. The Galatians were running in reverse, but were course-corrected by the same truth that founded their faith 
this grace of the gospel. It is what gives us endurance, what brings us in and takes us all the way home. Reservoir Church, may we be known for trusting in this grace alone because we have become known by God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your grace. It is as evidenced by man's feeble attempts, not something that we could actually come up with. The truth of your grace grace is otherworldly. It is um, something that cannot be earned, but is received as a gift. Lord, our hearts forget this grace. We stumble into reverse and think that we need to earn this grace over and over again. And Holy Spirit, we just ask as a people that you would make clear to us the truth of the gospel and the grace of Christ for us, that that would be our anchor, our foundation, our cornerstone to live from that truth, not attempting to earn it, but living out its implications for the glory of Christ and for our good. And Lord, maybe there's some among us who have yet to fully understand that grace as it pertains to salvation. And Holy Spirit, we ask that you would renew our hearts in this moment, that you would free us to believe and to trust in Jesus and his finished work for us, that your kingdom would grow, that your name would be known. In Jesus' name, amen.